Good morning. I want to talk a little bit this morning about uh, risky obedience. This is the fourth Sunday in our series called Risk. Uh, I want to give you another reminder. God does not call us into any risk that God has not already modeled for us. When it comes to following Jesus, um, Jesus modeled obedience. We're taught in the Bible that Jesus learned obedience. Um, and before we go much further, I know obedience is a word that uh, sometimes is not a big part of our vocabulary anymore, almost like the word sin, some words that we've maybe either lost their meaning or their power. And I want you to, I, I know that sometimes we come into the church and when we think about God, what, uh, unfortunately what happens sometimes is we allow our experiences to form how we think of God instead of allowing God form, shape, and redeem our experiences. Uh, And some of you may have grown up with an image of God as if God is roaming the world trying to catch you doing something wrong. Instead of seeing that God is roaming the world eager to save people and to empower them to be warriors in his kingdom, God wants to inject us with righteousness and with goodness. He wants to catch us doing things that are right, doing things that are good. Uh, There's a a story, a, a movie, it's... Uh, come out over the last couple of years and this one moment in the movie where the husband confesses to his wife that he had cheated on her and the way he does that is he says uh, I'm pr- uh, I'm gonna have a baby with another woman now this is back in the early 20th century and uh, back then there was a time when women really didn't have an option to leave the husband or not because there was no way she could support herself so there's no way she could sustain herself so that she found herself in the movie, she was stuck. And when his lover, the mistress, had the baby, the baby was born healthy, yet the mother died. So now he goes and has this child that he brings home, and now he's asking his wife to help raise and be a mother to, to his daughter of another woman who passed away in childbirth. What would you do? And she ended up taking in the child, because for her, what you see her wrestling with in the movie is... For me to say yes to God means that I choose to raise this child because God loves this child. Let me show you a story in the Bible that I think is what I want to place in front of us today is a story of obedience. In Matthew chapter 1, if you'll go there, it's on the screen. I would love for you to open your Bible. If you have your uh, Bible, uh, Bible app on your phone, I would love for you to pull that out, to highlight a few things this morning, take a few notes. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it goes like this. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. Uh, For Joseph to say yes to God meant Joseph had to say yes, was being asked to say yes to a woman, which means he was being asked to say yes to a baby. 
For Joseph to say yes to a baby meant he was saying yes to a woman, which was his act of obedience of saying yes to God. All right, we're in this place today, not because you said yes to God, but it began with God saying yes to you. God said yes to humanity, to rescuing us from our sins. I weekly, I want to stand up here and place in front of you a God who doesn't just want to redeem you from his sins, but wants to empower you to be mighty warriors for his kingdom. Which, and here's what that means, is that uh, God doesn't just want you to say yes to him to enter into this conversion moment with him. Now it becomes this daily act of us saying yes to God. The yes Casey spoke to me when I asked her to marry me was not the only yes that we speak to each other. There were more yeses uh, for our wedding, and now it's waking up every day choosing to live for each other for the sake of marriage and our witness to our kids and to the world. And God, he doesn't just want one yes from his people. It's a constant yes. It's a continuous yes. Now, one thing I've learned that we are still learning is that godly obedience can sometimes put reputation and it can put identity on the line, which is what it does for Joseph. Scott McKnight, a great theologian, um, wrote a chapter on this Joseph and Mary. And one thing he says in that, is, in that chapter is this. Sometimes the implications of listening to the voice of God is that we ruin our reputation in the public square. Loving God involves surrendering ourselves uh, to God in heart, soul, mind, and strength, and reputation. And the minute we turn exclusively to the Lord to find our true identity is the day reputation dies. All right, so have you ever found yourself in life faced with a decision where to obey is something that honors God and it also honors people, but have you also found yourself in a place in life where if you didn't act upon the obedience, no one else would probably know? So you might as well go ahead and take a shortcut, cut a corner. Let me help you understand a few things in Matthew 1. Joseph is what was called a sadiq. You pronounce it S-A-D-E-E-K. And a sadiq, it was, a, it was an earned reputation. So as you read in your Bible in Matthew chapter 1, this is more than just an adjective that describes Joseph. It's more than a descriptive. This is a part of his reputation. It's who he was. He had earned this over time. To be a sadiq meant a few things. It meant you were committed to reciting the Shema, to love your Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love your God, to love neighbors. You're reciting the prayers that the Jews would pray often. Not only that, you were also kosher. You honored the food laws, which meant for Joseph, he didn't eat rendezvous. He didn't eat sushi, all right? He didn't eat bacon-wrapped shrimp. I guess he could eat turkey bacon, but that's not real bacon, all right? He couldn't eat steaks medium rare. These, he had to honor all the food laws, he also had to tie to the local synagogue because he was committing all of his life to the ways of God that worked in and through the synagogue uh, and, and um, righteous before the Lord, regularly celebrating all of the holy days in Jerusalem. To be a sadiq was one of the most honorable, desirable reputations you could earn. Uh, it was just right under like a priest and a prophet and, of course, a messiah. But this was earned over time, and now Joseph finds out his soon-to-be wife, Mary, his fiancée, she's pregnant. Let me tell you also how engagements worked 2,000 years ago, because to enter into an engagement, which was often through betrothal, to enter into an engagement it was a covenant that had been agreed upon, a covenant that had been made. It was a binding agreement that you still had a wedding that was coming, uh, there was a marriage to live into, but the only way out of an engagement then was through divorce. It was a binding agreement. 
All right, this wasn't like shows like The Bachelor where a ring goes on a finger and there's a 3% chance they're going to get married. For those of you in here who've had experiences with engagements being broken, I don't want to bring up any bad memories, all right? But 2,000 years ago, it worked differently. You didn't just get out of an engagement. So the only way Joseph could, quote-unquote, get rid of Mary was through a divorce. All right, so now there's reputation on the line. He's engaged to a woman named Mary who's his fiance, And what's he going to do about this? Now, the law gave you a few things that you could do. Because for Mary... I mean, if she's pregnant and it wasn't Joseph, then she had either been seduced or she had been raped. And the Bible tells you back in the Old Testament what to do when this happens. If she had been seduced, the Bible tells you that both people who engage in the act are to be stoned to death. If she had been raped, the rapist is to die. So somebody's got to die here. Or Numbers chapter 5 lets you know that, that, that if she's saying she's innocent, she can drink from the waters of bitterness. This is crazy, man. Numbers 5 tells you about this. You drink the water of bitterness, and if she doesn't die, she's telling the truth. If she dies, she wasn't telling the truth. This would have made Jerry Springer's show so much easier, right? And for all these shows about who's your daddy and is that really your daddy? Man, just drink the waters of bitterness. If they die, they lied. If they live, they didn't, all right? Uh, But what Mary tells Joseph is, this baby is in me from the Lord. Are you going to believe a young teenager who says that? Now, for Joseph to take Mary as his wife, for Joseph to follow upon this dream that the angel gave him means his reputation isn't just on the line, his reputation could be gone. And now he may not be known as a Sadiq, which is, was an earned reputation. Now he could be known as an Amha Aretz. And this was someone who was known to not observe the Bible. To, I mean, these are people who were, they were eating bacon-wrapped shrimp and eating steaks that were medium rare. They didn't tithe. They hung out with Gentiles and pagans. So what Joseph chose to do was to privately divorce Mary. Because in doing this, he could save his reputation and he could also protect Mary. Because to marry her is to lose his reputation. All right. Can we just agree this morning that we care about what others think about us a lot more than what we uh, sometimes will say? We care a lot about what others think about us. And usually, even if you hear someone say, I really don't care what they think, in the back of their mind, they really do care about what others think. Because most of our reputations are things we've worked hard for. And for a lot of us, our reputation and our identity have come to be like one and the same. They they feed off each other. John Stott, the great theologian, uh, pastor of the 20th century, said, When the Christian loses himself, he finds himself. He discovers his true identity. And identity in God is more important than our reputation in the world. It took me years to get this. Uh, because in the 90s, my parents made a couple of moves, and I would move to a new town, and I had to make brand new friends, and I cared so much about friends, and about popularity, and what people thought about me, and did they like me, and did they want to be my friends, and, and becoming a preacher. Some of us are in professions where, whether we admit it or not, we care a lot about what other people think about us. Yet the gospel calls me back to my center of finding my identity in God. Augustine, who lived many years ago, said this about pre-conversion. He said, for in those days, my notion of a good life was to win the approval of, of people. 
And post-conversion, what he said was, I find no safe place for my soul except in you, my God. All right, for many of us today, to say yes to God means that we may lose something. All right, but Jesus has modeled how to do this because Jesus saying yes to us, to God's plan, meant he lost his life so that we could have life. So God is inviting us into risky obedience. It's what God asks for, even when it doesn't make sense, even when reputation may be on the line, even when it may not lead to a promotion, to success. Uh, So, like on one side, you have risky obedience of living with boldness and courage, and God, where do you want me to go? And sometimes what we say is that's risky obedience, and on the other side is rebellion. And I'm concerned about rebellion. I hope as a church we address rebellion. But I think what I'm more concerned of for the sake of the gospel and the advancement of the gospel is that right next to risky obedience, not way over there by rebellion, but it's selective obedience. It's can I say... Yes, to enough of the commands of God that the no's I say to some of the commands of God don't outweigh the yeses. So it becomes selective obedience. I'm not going to say yes to everything God wants of me, but I want to say yes to enough that maybe this will appease God so that I still get some reward in the end. Instead of living every day with God, where do you want me to go? What is it you're doing in my life? I want to go. Because we're tempted to cut corners in almost every facet of life. All right. Uh, This past week, I heard a TED Talk. Uh, I'm happy to send it to you later on today if you would like. But this TED Talk was on how, uh, as human beings, and this wasn't someone who was of faith-based. He wasn't talking about faith or spirituality. But it was on how humans often cut corners and we went the paths of least resistance, which isn't always bad. But he talked about desire paths. And I didn't know the phrase or what it means, but I've seen these all the time. And when I start talking about them, you'll see them too. A desire path, if you go to the first image, is uh, that in life there are places, and these happen all throughout Memphis, where sidewalks have been created for you to walk on. But a desire path is a way to cut the corner so that you can get to where you're going quicker. Uh, So whenever my family goes to the FedEx Forum to see a game, we often park behind the Forum, and there's this huge, uh, it's uh, just an area of green grass. Cutting straight through the green grass a few different ways. If you had a helicopter shot, you could see it. Are these these desire paths where we don't want to walk all the way up the sidewalk and around to get to the Forum, just cut through the grass because it's the easiest way to get there. Uh, if you go to the next image, you can see this. Uh, it often happens like this. Now, where you'll see these more than anywhere is on college campuses. Uh, I went to college. Casey and I were at AC for a while. Desire paths are everywhere. Right, because college students, all right, I mean, we're, we, I want to think we're smart and we're brilliant, but we also, we stay up late and we wake up late. There was one year I had a class that started at 7.50. And I set my alarm for 7.44 on those mornings where I could wake up, brush my teeth. While I'm brushing my teeth, I'm getting dressed. I would take off running to my class. I was never late to that class one time, all right? But I had to form desire pass and cut through grass to get there. So check this out, what Michigan State University has done and what the University of Cal of Irvine 
and some other campuses, what they've done is when they built new buildings on their campus, they didn't build sidewalks. They built the buildings, and they let college students pretty much form the paths because they knew they would. And then they paved the, the paths college students formed. Does that make sense to you? All right, college students are going to take the paths of least resistance, and after they have formed the path, then we're going to come behind and we're going to pave it for them so they can walk down it. Now, as I listened to this one TED Talk, there was uh, one image he showed that was, uh, I thought it was fascinating. It's the, it's the U.S., uh, the National Institute of Health. And uh, if you go to that next one, that's Michigan State, that next slide is... Um, this one right here. Now, it may be hard for some of you to see, but way up there on your left is the oncology building. And way down here, just above where my hand is, are the hotels. Now, as they formed these buildings uh, and they were hospital trying to take care of cancer patients, one thing they did is they decided they were going to provide automobiles and transportation for anyone who was having chemo to be able to get to their hotels. But what they didn't realize is that most of these people who were going in for chemo did not want to get in a car to get to the hotel. They were too nauseous. They wanted to walk. So they ended up forming their own trail to go from the oncology building facility down to the hotels. And the hospitals tried to like lay things over to keep people from walking on it. But then it, it began to be known as the chemo trail. And it became like this path. It was almost like a path of healing for people, this journey for them to their place of rest. So to honor it, they they paved it for them. So there are a couple of different ways I could present this to you today, all right? There are times in life where you are so set on living from point A to point B. And you need to see that there's a God who is forming new trails for us. It's always in and through Jesus but a God who may be forming a new trail in your life today. It may not be the path of the least resistance, but it's a new way or a better way, a more efficient way for you to get to Christ-likeness. All right, but let me come at this a little differently today, maybe to give us things to pray through. Is that God has set up these boundaries to protect the goodness of life. And sometimes our thinking is, all right, well, that boundary seems to limit my desire or limit the passion in my life, my fulfillment, success, that if I can just form another path that keeps me close to God's path, then maybe that will be okay. And we cut corners. And when it comes to spiritual growth and development, cutting corners in the path of least resistance usually isn't the way to go. That if God has formed a path and has invited us to live on it, and there's this path moving from the church into the communities we're called to love and redeem, we've got to follow God on those paths, even if our reputation takes a hit. Even if we're called names, even if it doesn't lead to promotions, success, success and, and other things like that. Um, where this really makes sense to me is when it comes to purity. That God has set up these boundaries to protect the goodness of life. Yet sometimes when, when pleasure and fulfillment's on the line, we will cut any corner to get to where we want to go. Yet God has laid out things out in front of us through Jesus. Commands that we are called to follow. Asking us for risky obedience. Don't cut the corners. Don't take the path of being selective 
uh, uh, selective obedience. It's, it's risky obedience. Wherever God's leading, we want to go. So for those who are praying this morning for the shepherds, will you go to your places to receive people for prayer? We have tables set up, and they just have blank cards. If that is a, an outlet for you to write something down, we'd love for you to do that. Because for some of you, it may be time for you to say yes to God today, to step into the waters of baptism, to confess Jesus as Lord. For others in this room, maybe we have engaged in that act of transformation and salvation, but there's another yes God wants of you today, and you know exactly what it is, but you need the prayers of the church to help you live into it. And for some of you, you may be struggling today with what does God want of me? What does he want? Where's he calling me? What does he want of me? And how can we pray for you as you live into that? So around this room, you see women who are here to receive you. You see elders here to receive you. And up to my right's Patrick. If there's anything you can bring in front of this church for us to pray for, Patrick's up here to receive you. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a couple of songs in this time.